inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome to Outlook today. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Outlook on Radio Western, either on Radio Western 94.9 CHRW or as a podcast after the fact. And Brian, hello. We're doing this as a pre-record today, uh, but we're happy to speak to our guest uh, this week. Yes, back to a pre-record in mid-September here, and we have an exciting guest today on Outlook, so I think we should just get right into it and uh, start the discussion today. Sure. So today we're speaking with Kim Owens of the blog Navigating Blindness. Hi, Kim. Welcome to Outlook. Hi, thank you for having me. And if you want to just quick tell our listeners, where are you calling in from today? Um, I live in coastal Georgia in the United States. So the East Coast is really hot right now. Yeah, actually, we, we just had a guest on from, from Georgia a few weeks ago. So that's uh, great to have someone else on from, uh, from that state. And uh... Yeah, I hear, I hear humid. Oh, yeah, so humid. So it's still yeah. pretty humid there um, today in, in mid-September. Is that, is that right? Oh, yeah, it'll probably last through this month and then we'll get a reprieve. Yeah, I think we've only driven through Georgia, like going to Florida and stuff in the past, but I haven't really spent much time there. But uh, lots of music, great music scene there. A lot of musicians I like from Georgia. So it's somewhere I'd like to like to visit someday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, Savannah sounds like quite the, quite, quite the place as well. Oh, it's beautiful. We live about 40 miles outside of Savannah. Uh, nice. And have you always lived there? or? Um. No, I actually grew up in Portland, Oregon, um, but my husband oh. um, grew up in Atlanta. We met in Atlanta, and I've been in Georgia ever since. Wow, so going from the West Coast to the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, I never thought I'd stay here, but here I am. <laughs> As I was saying, you have a blog that I discovered, and I'm not sure how long ago now, but I'm always uh, on social media and things discovering blogs and other activists and advocates. And uh, so you want to tell us a bit about your family, Kim? Um, yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I've been married to my husband for 25 years. His name's Chris, and he's a high school history teacher. Um, my oldest son, Cash, is 24 now. Um, he's a geologist, and he lives in Houston, and he works in Guyana, South America. Um, and then my youngest, son is Kai, and he's a second-year college student, so he's a sophomore studying, um, let's see, he's studying a lot of things, but his major is music theory, and he's also studying jazz drum set performance with the goal of being a musician and also being a music theory professor. Mm, wow, yeah. Cash and Kai, I love those names together. Yeah. Thank you. Very nice. And I'm also a musician, so I'm not a drummer, actually, uh, but uh, I, I just think that's also really cool to, to when I found that out. And I, I've, I've learned a bit about music theory, but um, I don't know. I've never, I, I definitely do a lot of things by ear, and I do have um, what's called perfect pitch. So I haven't 
dependent on theory as much as maybe I would like to. And in music braille, I kind of learned here and there. I don't know if, if, if your son Kai knows music braille pretty well at this point, because it's, I've I learned it a bit in high school, but I haven't really kept up with it, but I uh, always found it kind of interesting. Yeah, he loves math and he loves music. And so music theory is the best combination of those things. Um, and he did learn braille music. He didn't start learning it until later in high school when he sort of narrowed, you know, down his path. Right. Um, he wishes he had learned earlier because he's still, he feels like he's too slow, but I've just been amazed at everything that he's learned. Yeah. Music Braille is, a, is one of those things. It's like, I've, I haven't talked to too many people who, who use it, but the people I have, it does seem like it is, it's, it's definitely a challenge. And it's one of those things that, you know, you start with regular Braille and it's sort of a more advanced thing to get into. And it's, it's, it's like anything. It, it, it is useful, but it's also, I found for me, it was like, since I had the ear for music and the idea of, you know, I can't really read Braille when I'm playing the guitar or playing the trumpet with two hands. So you'd have to kind of memorize it anyway. And I never quite got used to it, but it's one of those things I've, I've been thinking about. So to think about how it, you know, if you have a mind, a mat, a mind you know, mind for math, like I don't necessarily, <laughs> I guess those things can go together because of it's, just the way your brain might process it. And uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah, it's interesting, too, because math is something I've always loved, too. And I haven't pursued it ever since high school, but it's something I've always thought about, like, maybe if there's any way I could get back into it some somehow, because uh, it's just something that my mind's always been sort of works well with numbers and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I'd like, like to revisit Music Braille as well. But that's cool that he is at least, you know, learning it and well, yeah, for what he for what he wants to do, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're studying if you're studying music, music theory full-time or whatever, then it's definitely something you'd want to be um, using, I would think. Yes, yes. He'll need to be really proficient in it before, you know, he's able to teach and, you know, grade. <laughs> um, but, right. but he's getting there. He's, um, you know, it, it's a work in progress. Not everything is. And now I think with, with things being digital, maybe it's a little bit easier. Like I know, like when I learned it, my, my transcriber in high school had never really used Music Braille. So they were kind of just trying to figure it out as they were doing the the like preparing it for me but when you don't really understand it as the tra as the transcriber back then and this was the early 2000s it was a bit of a different time than it is today yeah he typically accesses it through a combination of software and hardware he uses dancing dots as um their different software platforms and then he also uses a focus 40 braille display and he just recently started using something called a canute which gives him, I believe it's, oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's 40, 40 lines of Braille. Yeah, that's it's what I was cute. thinking. It's something like that. Yeah, I've, heard, I've definitely heard of it. And our friend actually got one of those recently given to him uh, through work. But I don't, I don't know if I've seen one or not. Yeah, they're, they're not exceptionally portable. You right. know, it's something that he uses at home. But um, it's really neat. And yeah, the fact of, of it being multiple lines, whereas the, just for our listeners, the displays that we use in the Focus 40 that you mentioned, that's the display I actually have in my lap right now. It's just one line of Braille that refreshes for each line. So you can read, you know, books on it and everything. But to have that the multiple lines in front of you for something like Braille music or math, when you have tactile graphics and stuff like that, it's so much more uh, efficient to have a, a bunch of lines in front of you instead of just one line at a time. So That's right. Yeah, so it, like talking about all this, this stuff, we're going to get into, you know, your your diagnosis and your family and how, how that's all gone for you guys, because 
you you don't weren't dealing with blindness since your child's birth like Brian and I had been born blind so it's a bit different of a story obviously but uh just to hear how technology has changed things even in the last 20 years is is pretty spectacular so yeah i agree it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah really and you're le- you're learning right along with with him all these things so that must be pretty neat for you to observe that stuff yeah i'm learning along with him but at a much slower pace he definitely um learns and assimilates information at a much faster pace and just having teaching in your family i guess with your husband being a history teacher and now your son wants to teach you know music that's uh, that's great yeah so um the blog when did you start the blog and what made you start it yeah and we should probably tell our listeners the blog is called navigating blindness and you can find it at navigatingblindness.com thank you yeah well initially when um so maybe I could back up a bit. Um, For sure. I, I, got, I got sick in 2009 unexpectedly, and um, I did not recover. And um, it became a chronic condition um, with multiple, multiple autoimmune diseases. Um, and then Kai started having symptoms um, around 2010, and we didn't get his diagnosis till 2013. So during that time, we were processing a lot of medical information and really searching for answers. So I kept a CaringBridge blog, and it was just for family and friends. And then as we learned more, and as we were looking for connections and resources, I decided to take the blog public and change it to um, you know, a public platform and called it navigating blindness. Because yeah, I, I mean, I've been following you and your your story and you on social media for a while. And so I knew that you also had, uh, you know, chronic conditions and things. So I, I was wondering how the old timelines kind of matched up and uh, what it was like for you already going through your own stuff. Because like, it sounds like, yeah, your family has been going through quite a lot. And uh, so what was that like for you at first? Because this this show we do Outlook is about blindness. Brian and I are both blind, so we, we talk about those things. But we also have other chronic conditions ourselves. And so we like to talk about chronic illness and disability. So, Yeah, um, our timelines were, were definitely difficult. I, um, I had left a um, really successful marketing career when Kai was born and decided to go into massage therapy, which was always my dream. And I had opened a massage therapy clinic and it was doing really well. And I loved what I did. And um, when I turned 40 in 2009, it was like overnight, something changed. I, I woke up and I was having trouble bending my fingers and I just really thought I was working too much. You know, I was tired. I thought, oh, I'm getting older. Massage therapy takes a physical toll. So I just sort of continued to push myself. But eventually, my symptoms got worse. Um, I started feeling like I had the flu all the time. Nothing helped. And, um, and then I started having trouble swallowing. And it was th- the constant choking on water is what actually brought me to the doctor and started the process that became ultimately my diagnosis. And... Um, during that time, I, I had to close my business. I was, I was so sick. And so I was, you know, seeking non-physical work, I guess. And um, it was around that time 
that Kai's personality changed. So in the beginning, we just thought it was stress. Like my husband and I were under a lot of stress. I was really sick. We were, you know, financially surviving on one teacher's income. And we really just thought he was displaying anxiety, I guess, about the change in our living situation. Um, he, the first symptoms that he exhibited were anxiety, just extreme anxiety. He, um, he and his older brother have always been extremely athletic and active and competitive. <laughs> and we always called Kai, no fear Kai. That's what all of our friends would call him because Cash is almost five years older and Kai was always trying to keep up with him. Uh-huh. And so an example would be Cash and his friends would be standing at the top of a skateboarding ramp debating the best way to drop in and Kai would just run up there and drop in <laughs> and everybody would just be amazed that he just didn't seem to have fear. Um, but then overnight that changed overnight. He did not want to leave my side. He, um, he didn't want to sleep. He was afraid of the dark. He didn't want to walk from the bus that dropped him at the corner to get home. It, it was a complete shift in his personality. And um, so we started, you know, taking him to the doctor and they just also thought it was anxiety. Um, So, you know, we were talking about different ways to manage his anxiety, but things just kept getting worse. And um, at one point we noticed that he just kept pressing on his eyes and um, he you know, we talked to the doctor about that and the doctor said it was allergies and started treating him for allergies, but it just didn't get better. Um, so that was really the start, the start of the journey. A lot of questions, no answers really. Wow. Yeah. I mean, parents, if you're, you know, you're, you know, your child at this point and you know what they're like, and then when you can tell there's something that's changed, even if whether it seems like it happens overnight or, or not, these things, when they're gradual, it's a really weird thing. Uh, and then you don't know if something was sudden or not. And then you start looking back being like, there were signs, maybe did I miss a sign? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange to get a diagnosis because usually it doesn't happen so quickly. It takes time and multiple doctor visits of, of you know, different doctors, allergists, neurologists, and, and, but yet when there's an, a, something like pushing on the eyes, which Brian, you dealt with, I think, you know, that's a sign, you know, they're trying to tell you something and they're trying to figure something out themselves. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of those times where, and it reminds me actually of my sister Carrie here, who in the 90s, you know, the blindness was one thing, but we were both born with that. Whereas in the 90s, she started be, um, becoming really sick and a doctors were just kind of saying like, you know, this is just you're hitting puberty or you're depressed or all these things. When it, when it turned out it was kidney failure and our mom, you know, had this, this feeling from like something was definitely wrong. But then you, you obviously, you know, your kid better than anyone else. And you go to a doctor who, you know, not doesn't necessarily know your kid really at all and just met them for the first time. And of course, you know, they're the medical field is they're trying to help. But sometimes it does kind of come off like, oh, it's just this or it's just that. And then you go home and you just feel like you're not 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 enough being done. And I've noticed through reading your blog, Navigating Blindness, how you know how much of a action you took to really try and dig into this and realize that you know this is something is up and 
these aren't the answers that I'm looking for. I know there's something more and you kind of keep fighting for that. And it's tricky because I think because not every parent is in a situation or has the the time or the, you know, the advantage. Like there's just certain times where it's not always possible to to put that much energy into it. But at the same point, it's it's so great to see that you do. And of course, every parent, I, I you know, wants the best for their children, but some people just don't have the resources and and uh, and time. So it's a it's a it's a difficult period for sure. I could I could imagine. It was really hard because I was really sick at the time and I had just been diagnosed. And so in my mind, I was thinking that whatever was happening with Kai might be linked to what was happening with me. Um, I had autoimmune disease. Maybe he was having autoimmune disease. Um, and we just kept questioning the doctors. We just got no answers. We started getting referrals. He saw a neurologist. Um, he saw, I'm trying to think, you know, he had an eye doctor. He, he already wore glasses because of a slight astigmatism. And, um, you know, he had 20-20 sight. He, so, so sight loss was not on our radar at all. Um, but ultimately, I'm the one that, that really cracked the, cracked the code. Um, it was Christmas time. And I said, you know, make a list for Santa. And he sat down at the table all excited. And he was making his list. And I noticed that his writing started about a third of the way through the page and then scrunched up on the right margin. And I was just sort of watching that. And um, so just out of curiosity, I, I asked him, I said, Kai, why aren't you using the left side of your page? And he held it up in front of him and he shifted it to the right. And he said, oh, I didn't see that part. And mm -hmm. I, oh, it was just a light bulb moment. I threw him in the car, took him to the eye doctor right then. And, um, you know, said, I know that he's not due for an appointment yet, but there's something wrong. And the deeper he looked, you know, he realized that there was some kind of so possibly something going on with his retina. And he could not correct his sight back to 2020 all of a sudden. Um, the closest he could get, I think, at the time was 2100, which was a, a big difference, a big jump. Um, and so that set us on the path of pediatric ophthalmologists, retinal specialists. And ultimately, he got the um, diagnosis of atypical retinitis pigmentosa, which is a um, progressive disease, genetic sight loss. Yeah, we've talked um, to a lot of people with RP, but I've never heard of that atypical. I've just heard of RP. So I wow. think the word atypical meant they weren't really sure. Um, right. We, we ended up, his sight loss did not follow the pattern of RP. I never felt like that was the right diagnosis. I spoke to other families, other adults, and I just really didn't think that was right. So we just kept pushing. And ultimately, nine years later, and three genetic panels later, it was discovered that he actually has the first documented case of what's called ABCA4 linked retinopathy. Usually you hear that um, mutations in that gene cause star guards, um, but he has different mutations to that gene. So um, 
so they call it ABCA4 linked retinopathy. And even though for 10 years, doctors completely dismissed my questions about autoimmune issues, it turns out that he does actually also have autoimmune retinopathy. And those two things combined, we're not sure if it was like the chicken or the egg, which started first, but those two things combined really accelerated his sight loss. So he went from having 20-20 vision at the age of eight to being legally blind at the age of 10 to being functionally blind by high school. Wow. You know, that's a lot of trans- transition for a, a young person to, to deal with. It's, it's remarkable how amazing, you know, children are that, you know, to, to go through something like that. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that anybody has to make such adjustments when they're just still just trying to learn and, you know, socially and, and education wise, and then, you know, how that fit into your family dynamics, and how he felt, I'm sure, uh, you know, that's a lot. And so is there no tie then between your immune autoimmune condition and what they think he has? I Autoimmune conditions tend to run in families. So Mm -hmm. we have a very um, deep history of autoimmune disease in my family. My paternal grandmother, my dad, my brother, my aunt, myself, my cousin. Um, And so we all have different types of autoimmune disease. So I do believe at some point they're going to find some type of a link between them all since, you know, they tend to just run in families. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I mean, medical, the medical system is amazing, but they they haven't got all the answers and they're still figuring these things out. And so that when there are things that are, you know, complicated or rare, you know, you're not going to get answers so easily like, oh, it's diabetes, oh, it's cancer, you know, all these things that can be devastating to life, to a life or can be worked out. It's right, like with our kidney disease, um, Brian mentioned there in the 90s when I was diagnosed, they, they, there's got to be a connection between that and our blindness. And they discovered there is, yet they're still discovering things. And it can be difficult when it's uh, a lesser known condition because you're not going to get all the answers. And that's frustrating for, for you, the, the people living it. It was really frustrating. And I feel like the fact that we did not have the answers was maybe a blessing and a curse. Um, The, you know, we really just decided that in Kai's case, we would just need to focus on preparing him. We focused on his skill set, on making connections, um, finding resources for him. And honestly, as, as hard as it was for my husband and I to sort of come to terms with his diagnosis, when Kai had words for it, when, when he knew that things had changed because he could not see it the same, the same way, um, once he had words for it, his complete full personality came back. He went back to being no fear Kai and he just really um, adapted. It, it, it's just really amazing to look back at everything he's overcome. Yeah, you talk about adapting, and I think that is one of those things that you really notice is just how humans do adapt, and and also you know the the whole the whole process is like I imagine it was maybe you had a feeling from the beginning that the RP wasn't the correct diagnosis, but I got to imagine it's kind of difficult like thinking it's RP for this this amount of time and then 
realizing that it's not quite RP, it's 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 this other autoimmune thing tying into it as well. And and I don't know if like having that diagnosis for a few years and kind of thinking that might be it, and then and then having that that new revelation uh, more recently, if that puts extra stress on on the whole thing. And then I think it also all ties into this this whole idea that you know we've had a lot of guests on our show now, and some people know right away what their diagnosis is for the blindness, others don't, and it sometimes comes down to, like you say, like it's a blessing and a curse to where in some ways it, it can be, you know, you don't want to spend all your days trying to just figure out exactly what this is the cause of it is. But for me, and in, in, in my opinion, if, if you have the, the resources and the time and are able to, I kind of like to know about the diagnosis, but I also know there's a lot of blind people that are just like, I don't know what it is, but I'm blind and that's just the way it is. So. Oh yeah. I'm like you, Brian. I, I wanted answers, but I also didn't want You know, we were told from the beginning there was no treatment and no cure for his sight loss. And so I I didn't want to drag him from doctor to doctor to doctor. So we really just made the decision that we would do annual visits and continue to research on our own, but really just focus on, you know, skill sets, the skills that he needed. So had you known blind people before? Like, we always like to ask this question just because it does affect what you think about blindness when you do ultimately get a diagnosis of that and you realize that's what's going on. It, you know, it's hard for some people to get past that. And as I say all the time, blindness and cancer are right up there with these fears people have. So, I mean, when it's your child, that's, that's a whole other layer. But what did you know about blindness or what did you think? I don't know if you can remember it back to that time, but... Honestly... I knew nothing about blindness. I have a cousin with nystagmus, so I do, um, you know, I am aware of that visual impairment specifically. But um, the only, like thinking back, the only contact I had ever had with a person who was blind was when I worked at um, Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta. I used to ride up and down an elevator with a man who was blind, and he had a guide dog. And um, I was really young at the time. I was in my 20s and he was probably in his 50s. And so I don't remember ever having a conversation with him. I remember saying hi and good morning, but that was about it. But I mean, the good news is I did have someone in my memory bank that I knew was working and was living what seemed to be a social and fulfilling life. Yeah, because that, that affects how you perceive it. And when you think, oh, now my, you know, what kind of life will my son have? If you know anything about blindness and you know that you can be successful with it and, and happy, then you think, okay, well, then there's something to this. And it, that's why we talk all the time about role models that blind children can look up to. And you've certainly found some since then, I'm sure, for, for Kai, because that helps. That gives you an idea of what it's like. So I just saw this video the other day, which is really sweet, that the Little Mermaid live action movie they're putting out has a black uh, aerial and i just saw this video of these little black girls being so happy they were so happy that they saw there's some there's a you know there's a disney princess that finally looks like me and it gives you it gives you a feeling that you don't get when you just see others that aren't like you at all doing things you might want to do in your life i agree i think you know, looking back over the last 13 years, the number one thing that has helped our family is to really get to know and love a really wide range of blind and visually impaired people. Um, I mean, we have just such a rich network now. And, you know, Kai, 
Kai has an amazing mentor and several amazing role models. So that has made all the difference. I know when I talk to parents, oftentimes now through the blog, you know, they're in that place where they just don't, they don't know anybody who's blind. It's so low incidence. Um, and I just encourage them, you know, that that network is so important. It's super important for the parents and it's super important for the kids. Yeah, and that's why it's so great that, that Kim Owens, our guest here today on Outlook, has the website Navigating Blindness, which, especially now in the digital age, it's, it's, it's easier in some ways than ever to, to really network and make those connections. And I'm sure this website was a, was a great uh, resource to, to start doing that for your son. Um, so yeah, we're, we're speaking today with, with Kim Owens on Outlook, and we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back after these promos. Outlook. Radio Western. And welcome back. You're listening to Outlook, and we are speaking today with Kim Owens. And Kim has a blog called Navigating Blindness, and you can find that navigatingblindness.com. And before the break, we were talking about you and your journey with chronic illness, but also your son Kai and his journey with it and his blindness. And uh, we were just talking before the break about how it, how it all came to be, you know, a little bit later in his childhood and uh he's you just as a mother you started noticing things as we were saying and i just i saw on your blog that he started you know noticing things himself and he would start saying things like i think i dropped a crumb on the floor or i think i may have a spot on my shirt and so mothers notice these things so we're talking today with a mother who we certainly noticed some things going on and at first it was anxiety diagnosis and and it is hard to know when these things come come about for children or for anyone that often they are accompanied with anxiety but uh in the second half we're going to talk a bit about how he's adapted as we say humans are very adaptable uh so what kind of things did you guys look to as far as his education and as far as his acceptance and adapting to his situation hmm. well you know, he, he had been in the same school district in the same school really since kindergarten. And when we got his diagnosis, he was in fourth grade. Um, so it was really near the end of fourth grade. So I remember meeting with the school and saying, you know, he has this diagnosis. What are our next steps? And they sort they put us into sort of the process where they did some functional testing on him. And, um, you know, started to determine what he would need in the present moment to, you know, accommodate his, his sight loss. Um, we had no idea at the time how slowly or quickly he would lose sight. And so that seemed super important to me. Like, I was like, let's do everything we can right now so that he has the skills he needs if and when he needs them. And um, so, so, you know, we got him into an IEP and we started setting goals. And I think something that, like I said, was really important to me was the progressive nature of his sight loss. So I feel like we always set really big goals for him. Um, we were really lucky in a lot of ways. We had a really good teacher, the visually impaired who was already employed by the school district. She had never worked with a blind child before. She was accommodating visually impaired children. Um, 
And, you know, about, I guess, 40 miles away, there was a contractor available with a much stronger skill set working with blind adults and blind teens. And so when it came time, when Kai sort of outpaced the school's teacher, the visually impaired, we were able to advocate to get this contracted TVI in, onto his case. And, um, you know, that was wonderful. So in, in some ways, you know, that was a much better process than a lot of families encounter. And I love how you call it teacher of the visually impaired because there's so many different names for it, like the same as visually impaired, blind, whatever. And some people call it, you know, blind blindness teacher. Like, I don't know, there's so many well, names vi- for it, but it's vision teacher vision is, the, teacher is, the, big is one, the one that, yeah, it's, yeah it's all, that's, the, that's the weird one because it's like, it, this is for a blind student. Why are you talking about vision? But yeah, there's so many names for these things. It's, and also I wanted to point out to our listeners, IEP for any child who has any kind of disability or other learning needs is called Individual Educational Plan education plan. So Brian and I had those growing up and uh, it just helps give a a, sort of an outline of what what the child needs and then you can figure out ways to get that for them so they can be successful. And the similarity there is that we were were also mainstreamed into the the school system. We didn't go to a school for the blind and I imagine since since those resources were there especially but was that did that ever cross your mind to to send Kai to a school school for the blind or did he ever have an interest in that or was it pretty much automatic that, no, I want to keep him in the school that he's already been in for this many years before this diagnosis uh, came about? When he first got the diagnosis, we were referred to the school for the blind and told that that would be the best place for him. And we did tour the school for the blind, but I'll be honest, it was really just never on my radar. Um, He was already dealing with so much anxiety. I couldn't imagine, you know, the school was several hours from our home, right. he would have to live there. It, it just, it wouldn't have worked for him. Um, also, he was a really good student. He was in the gifted program. He was like top of his class in the reading program. Um, and so, you know, he had, you know, he was already doing really well in school. So really, to me, it just became how how can we support him so he can continue to do well in school? Right, get him those resources that he does need and understand what's going on a bit better, and then watch him watch him just take off again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you really do you do demonstrate how it is so situational because you know it's of course like we 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 want to discuss this in more detail on this show in future, but it's a t- tough topic to sort of approach because everyone's situation is different. Like in my overall opinion, technically, I don't quite think schools for the blind are the best option because I do think ultimately it's best to be integrated into society and all be together instead of sort of being separated and stuff like that. But at the same time, I realize, like you say, the fact that he already really thrived in school, that's one thing, whereas some people really do struggle to, to keep up with school and maybe a school for the blind might fit better for them. So it is, it is such a situational thing that it's hard to kind of, and it's like anything in life, there's not really a right answer per se, but it is just interesting often to get people's perspective on, on schools for the blind. So, Oh, for sure. And, you know, I, yeah, there's just, I wish there were easy answers as a parent. I just wanted somebody to (laughs) hand me sort of like do this, then do this, then do this. But um, blindness is so low incident. The majority of children who are blind or visually impaired have multiple disabilities. Kai did not fall into that category. Um, we, you know, there just wasn't a blueprint to follow. And so we did the best we can. And, and through my blog, I, 
I try to really showcase other families and how they are navigating blindness. I'm definitely not the expert. What we did worked for us right. and for our son. And I love to share that, but I also love to hear how other families are, are making their way. Well, thanks for saying that because yeah, like we say, as I don't know if you've read the book, Their Plant Eyes, A Personal and Cultural History of Blindness, but we talk about it all the time on the show. Uh, and it's just, you know, as far as blind role models children can have, but also um, children are all different and adults are all different. And you think if you've seen one blind person, you haven't seen them all. Uh, you know, that <laughs> saying you've seen when you've seen them all. So yeah. everybody's different. And, and one blind person is going to be, uh, you know, very academic. And the next one is going to be, you know, have other strengths and you need to know what that that is. And, and so what, as far as wanting someone to hand you a blueprint, there are moments when I'm sure you felt that way. But at the same point, it, you know, you are his parent and you knew him best, as we said. But how about That's you? Right. As you adapted, you like we talk all that we've talked before about our mother learning Braille right along with us as children. Uh, and, you know, you know, the parents don't always keep that up, but you actually took courses and transcribing and stuff. What was what was all that about for you? Oh, well, Kai's education took sort of a turn in high school. In high school, we found ourselves having to really fight for him to have access to advanced coursework. He was placing into the advanced placement courses, but there were there was no, you know, Braille book sitting on the shelf anywhere. Um, and so we, we really ran into a problem where he was placed into these high-level classes and the other students in the classroom would get all these resources and Kai's schoolwork wasn't ready yet. Um, and then when he did get it, it was late and it was full of errors and it was just a mess. And we ended up his sophomore year of high school filing a formal complaint against our school district with the State Board of Education and agreeing to have a mediation. And during the mediation, I don't know if you can win at me mediation, but I felt like we won. We got everything that, um, that we wanted for him, which included a third party, um, you know, like really rapid Braille service that was able to get him the content on time and accurately. Um, but that fight was so incredibly hard, you know, with my own health challenges and my own energy levels, I thought, Oh my goodness, I, I can't fight this hard all the time for him to have what he needs. And um, so I started looking into learning to create Braille for him. You know, I knew the alphabet, but that was it. Um, so I started taking classes, um, just free classes online and um, decided just to continue with it and received my um, national certification in Braille transcription. Um, my only goal in doing that was to be able to help Kai if he ran into these problems in college. I knew that I couldn't advocate for him there. I knew I didn't have that much fight left in me. And I just wanted to be prepared. Right. And what you've taught your son is how to advocate for himself, because now he is in, in university there in Georgia and uh, doing really well in his sophomore year. He's got a guide dog now. Uh, so sometimes it gets to a point where the, the services can't keep up with the student, which is unfortunate. It really, it really is, because then it's not the student struggling anymore, but they aren't able to get all they need. And uh, 
So yeah, that's great that you understand things, the ins and out, ins and outs of it all since you took that course. Oh, I'm so glad that I took it. And, you know, I don't have any major plans with it other than to be available to Kai if he, you know, if he needs assistance. But like you said, he was, he was involved in the IEP process since the beginning when he was 10. So by the time he went to college, he knew how to speak for himself. He had good self-confidence. He knew what he needed. He knew how to advocate. Um, and he has not needed me one single time in college. It has been amazing. They, the disability services coordinator that he works with, they, they take care of it and have it worked out. It's, it's honestly just been, it feels miraculous. Man, if you're not aware, you know, universities, well, I, I, I would hope at this point they all have disability services uh, that anybody with any kind of disability, you know, if you don't know about it and you have one and you want to, you know, get into post-secondary, really make sure you look into that because Brian, I know that was invaluable for you when you went to college to study music industry arts. Yeah, for sure. And I also just wanted to say that it's, it's one of those things that Braille, we talk so much about on this show, because Carrie and I are both, you know, avid Braille readers. We've been reading since we were little. I don't even remember learning Braille, really. But we realize it is a challenge for some people, and it's, it's a difficult thing. But we also talk a lot about these days how it sometimes is being talked about that Braille isn't necessary with technology now. You can have your phone read everything. But for us, Braille is so important, and it's just it's, it's literacy, and it's, it's having the words in front of you for, for spellings and all of these things. Um, and it's about having as many tools in your toolbox as possible. There's nothing wrong with, you know, voice, voiceover screen readers and stuff like that. But uh, to have all resources and, and the fact that, yeah, maybe there's a shortage of transcribers and stuff like that. But it's also, it just sometimes it isn't talked about. And it's also kind of a m- mystified, like it's this secret sort of thing. And so for a parent to learn it, I think it is kind of nice. It gives you the handle on it. But I also just wanted to quick point out what you say on your blog where you said, should parents of blind kids learn Braille? And then your answer being, in my mind, Parents have only one should, and it's acceptance. And I just think that's a really important point that you bring up there. Again, demonstrating how everyone's situation is so different. Of course, it's not a, a requirement that, that you know Braille as a parent, but I just thought the, the whole idea of acceptance, and that's a tricky, that's a tricky area for sure. It's, it's something that's a gradual thing, and, and I know care, you being, uh, you know, having a bit more vision than I when we were younger, and then you losing more, acceptance has been maybe a little more difficult for you. And it's not to say I don't have any issues with acceptance, but it's always been that way. I was born blind. So acceptance for me hasn't really been quite the same. Yep, exactly. And so today we're speaking with Kim Owens of Navigating Blindness and navigatingblindness.com is a great resource. If you're listening and you are looking for such things, you know, reach out or just read the blog. You've got so much there, Kim, so much great information. And uh, I was just thinking about when, you know, when we were young and the internet was in the early days when I was diagnosed with kidney disease. And, and so our mother started doing some research online about our rare syndrome and things, uh, senior Loken syndrome. And yet to think about what it would be like now, if we were young now, and, and to be able to have a blog and connect with other, other parents through it is, it must be great. You must get so much great feedback. Oh yeah, it's been such a tremendous resource for us. I um, it's opened so many doors, and it has created, you know, just a really strong community, which I just love. Um, I want to back up a little bit on the Braille and just add that Kai is a complete supporter of Braille. He said that you know when he's tried to 
do a class where he's got, you know, audio input in one ear, the teacher talking in, you know, the front of the class, and he's, he's got all these inputs, it gets overwhelming. But if he can focus on the teacher and just read his braille and make his own notes in braille, that, that is so much easier for him. And also, he said, there's no way he could do high level math, science, music or foreign language without braille i he just he's a huge supporter of braille literacy yeah because braille you learn braille through a different way than you read with your eyes you do and i and i was just going to add that the, the fact is that the thing i really love about it is like you say and of course some people that aren't able to learn braille or have difficulty with it you know you you make the best of your situation and, and a lot of people do use audio and have techniques for being able to read aloud by listening in their in their one ear and stuff like that so there are methods for it, but especially, like you say, with sciences and math, and I think maybe, especially in the past, it was almost looked at as like, oh, blind people won't, won't really be able to, you know, succeed in those subjects for in high deg- levels anyway. So it wasn't always maybe a focus yeah, and, yeah. and all these kind of, you know, stereotypes or assumptions that are out there. But I think, yeah, like you point out, definitely for, for those subjects, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty much essential, I would think. But to get to your point about acceptance, Through the network that I've created with other families through the blog of Navigating Blindness and our social media, we're actually most active on Instagram social media. And um, the number one thing that I find families struggle with is parental acceptance. Um, So many times families will reach out to me and say, you know, my son won't do this, or my son is refusing to use his cane or doesn't want to learn Braille. It's like, the more we talk, the more I can hear in the parent's voice that they're not ready for it, that they don't know people who use it. They don't understand why it's important. Um, And the kids pick up on those little subtle cues. And so in my mind, parental acceptance is key. Once the parents can accept what is happening with their children, see it clearly for what it is, then they're just better prepared to create a plan and to execute a plan um, with their child. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. I mean, we're talking a lot about your son and he's in college now and all these things, but talking to you, we get your, your perspective on things. And uh, you know, you're, you're saying so many great things that it does start with the parents and and these things, the kids pick up on it so, so easily. And you just hear it in children all the time, all the things they pick up from their parents. So why would this be any different? So yeah, I'm sure you get a lot of different, you know, situations brought to you when people reach out. And uh, I actually reached out recently to ask if your son uses Instagram, because I haven't quite adapted to Instagram. Uh, I'm still stuck back on Facebook and and, uh, everything. But, you know, there are ways of doing this. And kids these days want to be like everyone else and be on Instagram. And so it's great, like Brian said, a lot of people will be like, oh, you can't learn, you can't be a scientist if you're blind. There are ways to do these things often. Uh, and so while we talk about accessibility and that, you know, these platforms aren't as accessible as we'd like, uh, people find a way. And so I think that's great because your son, as you say, he, he, he's very adventurous always. So tell us a bit about what he, he's into as far as that. He, he's been in the media and things for certain things he does. Yeah, well, since, you know, before sight loss, he and his brother loved to skateboard. 
they loved to skimboard. Anytime we would go to the beach, they would skimboard. And um, that's, that's almost like the opposite of surfing. You have a wooden board or a carbon fiber board as you progress. And you basically run towards the water, drop the board in front of you, and then ride it out to the wave, catch oh, the gosh. wave, and ride it back in. <laughs> He's always done that. I have a picture of him as a toddler holding a skimboard. So when he lost his sight, he was determined not to lose the things that he loved. And so we were always, you know, our question was not, can he do it? It was, how? How can we make this safe? How can we make this possible? And he continued to skimboard. And actually, he is, the, as far as we know, the world's only blind and sponsored skimboarder. He's sponsored by Exile Skimboards out of California. And um, he loves he loves that. So he's really into water sports, board sports, and of course his music and social life. <laughs> I mean, he's a typical he's a typical twenty year old. <laughs> right. I'm so glad that came up because yeah, I, I was wondering what skimboarding was, and it's one of those things that I'm so glad we're talking about about athletics like this because it's it's a tricky thing where I think you know part of it is just not everyone's as athletic as as everyone else necessarily, and. I, I growing up wasn't, you know, I participated in phys ed, um, physical education up to a point, but kind of got to a point where it, it did become more active. And I being in the school with all sighted people didn't really keep up and, and kind of got out of it. But part of me does wonder that part of it was that it just wasn't I wasn't given the opportunities. I wasn't maybe, you know, had that um, the option to, to learn it in, in, a, in a great setup setting. But also the fact that that he could see before going blind and learn these skills, you know, then when you go blind, you don't want to have to give up. This, this thing that you love. But I do think sports is an area we want to talk more and more about on, on Outlook because it's an area that Carrie and I don't have that much experience. I've had some swimming lessons a long time ago as a kid, but that's kind of about it. So I think it's really great to, to hear that Kai is, uh, is uh, participating in, in so much uh, activity. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah it, it gives people more awareness that these things are done and that blind people aren't just written off for certain things that they might love. Um, so it's great to hear all the things he's doing and that he's a typical 20-year-old. Um, we're coming right to the end again here. This stuff flies by. I did just want to quickly touch on the fact that, so you started with a blog, but you're also working now on a book. And it's not, you know, done, so we won't, I don't know how much you want to tell us about it here now. Um, we'll, we'll definitely talk about it when it comes out. Uh, people want to read all, all of your family's adventures. But uh, I don't know, what did you want to say about that uh, process you're sort of still in the middle of or nearing the end? Well, I have written a book. I wrote it last year and um, I'm working with an editor now. We're about halfway through the editing process and um, I've got an appointment to meet with a um, publisher in November. So we'll see how that goes. Um, it, it has been such a good process for me. Um, the last 13 years, really, there was so much change and transition and adapting. This has allowed me to like really sit down read back through all the notes, all the medical stuff, all the school stuff, all, um, you know, my blogs, and just sort of reprocess it. And, um, you know, it's, it's just been a really, it's just been a really healing process for myself. And I hope that, I hope that it will really just read as a love letter to my family. You know, I was really focused for 13 years on Kai's accessibility. And um, so the book really focuses on the process of acceptance, 
what we did to build a community and the, you know, tools for accessibility that he uses, but it also just, you know, talks a lot about the emotions involved and the energy involved and, you know, the hard stuff and the good stuff, I guess. Yeah. And I think you really mm-hmm. illustrate that well on, on the, your blog, Navigating Blindness as well, where you, you talk about both the good, the, the, the good things and the struggles, because it's, that's what we really do with this, this show Outlook as well. It's, it's easy sometimes to be like, oh, we can do anything anyone else can do. And it's no different or all this stuff, but that's not a, very realistic either. So it's important to kind of look at both sides and, and realize that it's, it, it's, not, it's not easy. It's not uh, something you adjust to overnight, but it is, it is doable. And it's, it's good to be sort of honest and for writing this book, the book that, uh, you know, we, I look forward to reading eventually when it is released and, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really just coming out with it. And, and it, it's a vulnerable thing for a lot of people to really open up about this stuff. So I definitely really do, you know, admire your uh, willingness to, to be open with this stuff and, and talk about it. It's, uh, it. it's so important. Thank you. And they talk about, you know, when, uh, you know, I've wanted to write a book for a long time and I just haven't, I've had a bunch of stops and starts and starts and stops. And, and so I really am enjoying hearing about your journey and, you know, we've talked a bit about it along the way. And so I appreciate that because I still have the hope that I'm going to write something here. And uh, it, it isn't easy. It is emotional when you're writing about yourself and, and it, not everybody wants to do that. And I can see why. Um, but yeah, you're, you're illustrating it and having a platform, as they say, when you're going to be a writer before your book comes out. And, and that's what your blog has been all these all these years now. And uh, so it, it's great. We do on this show. We talk about, you know, the hope, but we also talk about being realistic about how life can be hard. And, and that's how I look at it. Life's a bit of a beautiful mess. <laughs> that's so, right. So, yeah, I can't wait to hear more about it. And uh, it's great that you've found some support for this because it is uh, quite a process. And as you say, your son's out there doing it, living his life. And uh, as his mother, you've gone through a lot yourself, I'm sure. And uh, so it's it's great to see. And I don't know if you have any words for people because as we say it's overwhelming when you start to learn this um you've already said it's great you know for parents to work on accepting these things themselves but if you wanted to tell somebody where to start if they're maybe looking online for things um it can be overwhelming so i don't know if you have any tricks for how to how to sort of sort through all that i think my number one piece of advice would be to start with um relationships people who are blind or visually impaired, and specifically to narrow it down to people who are sort of living the life that you would love to, you know, if your child's really young, you know, somebody who's living a life that you could see your child um, modeling their life after. And if your child's older, like Kai was, you know, we just, we looked for people that were living the life that he wanted, you know, people who are active, who were, um, you know, employed and, um, you know, into music. So finding a mentor that you can relate to, number one, that's my number one piece of advice. And to involve your child in the process also, as we've said. Oh, definitely. Kai spoke with his mentor twice a month in the beginning, and they still have a relationship to this day. And I think I spoke to the mentor probably just as much. <laughs> you, you, need to have, you need to have that option. And whether you're writing a book or you're dealing with a new disability in your life, it's great to have those mentors. That's right. 
Yeah, I think that's a great place to end it with those those words. And I think, yes, like we talked about earlier too, role models are so important. We all need somebody to look up to or to just get advice from and talk to and not not think that they're, you know, above us or anything like that, but just somebody that we can we can communicate with and, and realize that these things can be done and uh, you just need to make the connections and networking is, is so important. So definitely go check out navigatingblindness.com. We'll share it in the podcast notes when we post this online. And a big thanks to Kim Owens for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Send us an email. Outlook on RadioWestern at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.